SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Shopify. Hank, when you started your career as <laughs> the internet science man, was opening an online store something that you were really thinking that hard about or something you thought you'd do in a billion years? I was uh, making a shop before I was the internet science man. Oh, what? That was the first thing I did. I was that first. Wow, I got to learn my Hank history. How did that go for you? <laughs> Good. I'll, here's what I'll tell you. Like the the the... The part where we start selling a thing and you get to see the number go up is so exciting. And uh, when it's just like you uh, by yourself, you got to be careful. But luckily, (laughs) Shopify has all kinds of little tools to help you with that, to help you with increasing conversions, to help you with managing orders, with customer support, with all of the stuff. Uh, Because it's a, you know. I don't know. It feels like the industry standard. And so there are all kinds of plugins that you can use to make your Shopify work for you in particular. That's right. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from vlogging in your parents' basement to treading the boards of Carnegie Hall. Now, it was my basement. It was my (laughs) basement of my own home that I was renting. (laughs) Downstairs of. (laughs) If you say so. From your first sale to your one millionth, Shopify is here to help you grow. And they've got a proven track record, my friends. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and powers entrepreneurs in 175 countries. They have, as Hank mentioned, the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And they have award-winning customer service because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. You can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tangents, all lowercase tangents. Go to shopify.com slash tangents now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S, all lowercase. Hello and welcome to SciShow Tangents, the lightly competitive knowledge showcase starring some of the geniuses that make the YouTube series SciShow happen. This week, I am virtually joined by Stefan J. Hello, I joined you from my own home. I can see you on my computer screen. Yeah, normally you get to see me in person. Now you have to be satisfied with pixels. What's your tagline? A whiff of elderberries. Sam Schultz is also here. Hello from the virtual realm. What's your tagline? Feeling normal. Sari Riley also is joining us right now. Sari, what's your tagline? Blanket forts ahoy. I saw your blanket fort on Twitter today and I was I was extremely excited. And I know that it doesn't look professional, but like to my audio brain, it looks extremely professional. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, that's exactly what you should do. And <laughs> none of the rest of us are doing it. So if I got yeah. a bunch of room noise, I apologize, but I couldn't be bothered. <laughs> Everybody, welcome to SciShow Tangents, where every week we get together to try to one-up, amaze, and delight each other with science facts. We're playing for glory, but we're also keeping score and awarding Sam bucks from week to week. We do everything we can to stay on topic, but judging from previous conversations, we won't be great at that. So if the rest of the team deems his tangent unworthy... We'll force you to give up one of your Sam Bucks tangent with care. And now, as always, we're going to introduce this week's topic with a traditional science poem this week from Sari. 
On Donald, on Daffy, on Howard and Ketchup, on Darkwing, on Plucky, on Peckle, you betcha, floating on water to dig through the muck, looking for grasses or small worms to pluck. There are so many species of the humble duck. What they have in common beyond body and neck is aquatic behavior and a bill to peck. With your epigeal gland, they dab oil and preen, coating their feathers with a waterproof sheen. Strong muscles they have to flap wings and take flight. And nictitating membranes act like goggles for sight. A comb-like mouth thing helps them filter feed. <laughs> and curly Q phalluses affect how they breed. So we can love a pond with ducklings or a good Twitter thread. But for their safety and ours, don't just feed them bread. Uh, oh, God. To get, be tip. careful. Feeding bread ducks Twitter can really get angry. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a bunch of people who like to feed bread to ducks and other birds and then get really mad at people who tell them that they are villains for feeding them bread. But Sari was correct. Don't just feed them bread. They, it's okay for them to have some bread. It's not great if they just have bread, which can happen if a duck finds a source of bread that is everlasting. <laughs> they will choose to eat just bread if you allow them to. I yeah. guess ducks are just like us. <laughs> <laughs> What's a ketchup duck? Oh, yeah, yeah. that's a great point. You did say ketchup, and I did for a moment think, that's not a duck. It is is a duck. It's a duck in Animal Crossing that's red and has a little tomato Her head uh, looks like a tomato. We love ketchup, and Animal Crossing is coming out in three days, (laughs) so we've got to get ready. It'll be out by the time the episode's Mm -hmm. up. Yes. You will never be able to find me again. I'll be on this island. (laughs) Me and Sari will have quit our jobs in three (laughs) days, so sorry. Good. I well, it's time for it's time for video games, you guys. That there's no doubt about that. So obviously we are not in the same physical location because we are social distancing as we all should be right now for in a place with active novel coronavirus. And what what a wild moment, but I I'm very glad to talk about ducks today. Um, so, Sari, what is a duck? <laughs> well, it turns out a duck is a lot of different things. There is a family of water birds called the Anatidae, which includes ducks and geese and swans. And uh, there are a bunch of species within that family that are ducks. And But not just, all of them, because geese aren't them. ducks. Are geese ducks? Geese are not ducks. Swans are not ducks. There but are they're other, pretty like, close. They are close. Is it one of those things where they're just not true ducks? Yeah. But, but you can call them a duck. Or no. or is it the other way where like you wouldn't call them a duck, but they kind of are. Like a lot of moths are actually butterflies, but they just like look like moths, so we don't call them butterflies. I think there's enough functional differences between these birds and anatomical difference that they are separated into different taxa. I think there are things that we call ducks because we see them sticking their butts up in water and they're like eating the ground stuff that are not ducks. So like loons or other birds... That look. Galanules, coots. Yeah, those kind of things <laughs> that sound fake, but wow. they're real birds, not ducks. Okay, do geese and swan have the corkscrew dicks? They have dicks. So, <laughs> okay, okay. A lot of birds. Which is not something all birds through, have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Clo- cloacal kissing. Mm. So they kind of like smush their Just, holes together and then uh-huh. smooch and then exchange genetic information. But certain birds, like ducks, have evolved actual penises to uh, penetrate and have in a penetrative sex. And it's mostly because of an evolutionary arms race. I don't know. I feel like. Everyone on Twitter asked us about duck sex, but everyone asking about it means that they've read about it already. 
But yeah, ducks have a very intense, like 40 centimeter long corkscrew phallus. And then the females have a like a vaginal chamber that's corkscrewed the other way or has dead ends in it to make it harder for uh, full erection and ejaculation. And scientists have studied this by, like, going to duck mating farms and having ducks get really aroused and then basically mate with a plastic (laughs) tube of different shapes, like a straight plastic tube and a curly Q plastic tube and (laughs) a other direction curly Q plastic tube and be like, oh, it's harder. And so they just think it's a way to prevent female ducks from having unwanted sex. So with a a male that they don't seem fit to have eggs with. Boy, it sounds complicated to be a duck, but it also sounds complicated to be a duck scientist. You just have to get your plastic tubes ready, I guess. Uh, Yeah, you have to have a a lot of different kinds of plastic tubes. You also have to go home to your family at night and then, what'd you do at work today? Well, you know... Same as usual. Let's let's dinner. <laughs> so a, a goose is not just a big duck, which I did Google. Is a goose a big duck? And uh, Google agrees that a goose is not a big duck. There are uh, definitely things that are ducks, and and we know what they are. There there are species that fit into that. There's there's a, a clear classification, which is nice. A clear delineation between yeah, duck that's and that's Do you know where happen. the word duck comes from? Yeah, it's. Pretty straightforward. It comes from Old English deuce. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like drop a deuce. Yeah, which is literally a ducker, which comes Uh, from Old mm. English ducan, which is to duck or dive. So the duck was named after the action. And we were like, they were like, oh, what's that bird doing? It's ducking. And then they were like, ah, it's a duck. (laughs) What the heck? Yeah. I don't really think of what ducks do as ducking, but I can definitely see the connection Mm -hmm. between a dive and a duck. (laughs) And now it's time for (laughs) one of our panelists, it's me, has brought three science facts for our education and enjoyment, but only one of those facts is real. The rest of you have to figure out, either by deduction or wild guess, which is the true fact. If you get it right, then you get the sandbuck. If you are tricked, then I get the sandbuck. Everybody, are you ready for my duck facts? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Sam? Yes. I'm ready. I didn't know I had that audio confirmed. <laughs> we already talked a little bit about duck sex, so don't worry, there's more. We have for you today the duck microcosmos crossover that nobody asked for. Duck sex is infamous. It's got corkscrew penises. It's even got occasional necrophilia. I don't know if you guys have read that scientific paper, but how could you avoid it? And sometimes the real concern isn't the the duck you see. It is the microbe you don't. Which of the following is a real story of ducks and sex and microbes? Fact number one. Many birds, including ducks, use smell to attract their mates. A smell that is driven in part by the residents of their microbiome. But female ducks also have a way to discourage unwanted male suitors. The northern pintail duck has devised its own unique strategy, mimicking the smell of imminent death. After mating with their selected partner, the one that they liked, the female northern pintail will then rub their tail against the pickerel weed plant, and then prospective suitors who smelled them would then be turned off and not interested. And that confused scientists until they discovered that the scent of the pickerel weed plant mixed with the female duck's natural oils created a body odor that resembles that of a duck who has been infected with a potentially deadly bacteria. Fact number two. 
The spirochete bacteria is a spiral-shaped bacteria often found in mud and in water, but they've also been found hitchhiking their way from male to female ducks via the sperm. Scientists have observed the spirochete Brachyspira pilosicoli hooking to an individual sperm cell. And while many spirochetes are pathogenic, B. pilosicoli has taken a different path. It aims instead to help its hosts, kind of, though, of course, for its own benefit. After latching onto the sperm, the spirochete uses its flagella to propel the sperm, helping that individual sperm move more quickly to the egg and outcompete other sperms so it can land that bacteria in a new host which it can then colonize. Or, fact number three, female birds have a tendency to pick mates with more lively ornamentation. Mallards, of course, are no exception. Female mallards tend to select male mallards with more richly colored bills. But this is not simply a matter of female ducks picking out the most handsome duck on the block. Many animals produce sperm with antimicrobial properties, and it turns out that a well-colored bill is a handy marker for just how capable the male mallard Mallard's sperm is at killing bacteria. So male mallards with less colorful bills produced sperm that was less able to kill E. coli, making their sperm potentially more damaged. So fact number one, the northern pintail duck can discourage male suitors by mimicking the smell of imminent death by rubbing up against a pickerel weed plant. Fact number two, scientists have seen a spirochete that hooks on to a sperm and then propels it to outcompete other sperm or a well-colored bill is a handy marker of how bactericidal a mallard's sperm is. Are bacteria spiral-shaped? Yeah, spirochetes are. That's realistic. But then maybe Hank just picked this one because it's it's like the, the duck no. spiral, so then it's a spiral bacteria, and then we're like, oh, yeah. Then they have nothing to do with like each other. You don't need to have a spiral bacteria to fit into a duck vagina, just for clarity. They're very small. They can go into any vagina they wish. I have built duck puppets in my life. You have built duck puppets. SciShow uh-huh. Kids. And I feel like I remember researching what color Mallard's bills were and that being important somehow. But I cannot remember how. So I'm going to guess that one is a lie mm. just because I can't remember how, but I don't, I don't think mm-hmm. that was it. I feel like that one also has some elements of truth in it i know that their feet oh. change color oh. throughout oh. seasons Maybe like duck feet uh-huh. because they can like cut off circulation to it which is how they can walk on like such mm. cold ground oh. and that changes their feet's color uh-huh. but that has nothing to do with bacteria and nothing to do with the bill so but the first one also sounds fake to me because i feel like i've heard like ants that do that or something like mm. something that smells dead there's also like Some... corpse flowers and stuff yeah i like it though it just says like a like an easy thing to do. Rub your butt with a plant and then people will leave you alone because they think you're sick. Are there animals that use plants like that? So we've seen in some primates them like using something as a mosquito repellent, like squishing beetles or something Mm -hmm. like that. I don't know about other animals brushing up against plants. It it makes sense though because they could smell it out. Yeah. But maybe that's too many steps of logic to be like, when I rub my butt on this specific plant, people (laughs) avoid me. 
Are ducks smart? Yeah, yeah. Ducks <laughs> oh. are. Pre- I mean, ducks are pretty smart. I, yeah. Most birds okay. are are fairly smart in terms of of animals, but also yeah. like it tends to be when animals are using plants, they're not like thinking about how the plant is useful. They might be, like primates, certainly. Sure. Dolphins, yes. Lots, lots, some, some animals, yes. But usually, it is like this strategy has worked. And so this in- instinct has been developed. I've looked huh. into the eye of a duck and it, it seemed to understand me. So I think it's pretty smart. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good gut level reaction. They just get such a bad rap in cartoons. I feel like they're pretty clever in cartoons. There's I no way Scrooge so. McDuck could collect all that money by being a oh, duck. Oh, I forgot mm. about him. Ducks are well, generally fools, I feel like, though. Yeah, they could be generally fools, but still financially literate. <laughs> Which, you know, compared to me, <laughs> is not a fool. <laughs> okay, I'm going to go with the, the pickerel, pickerel weed. weed plant. I'm going to go with the spiral sperm one. Sp- the spirochete bacteria, hook it up to the sperm. I'll, I'll go with the, the colored bill equals killer sperm. Okay, we're spreading them out. You're giving me no chance to... To get three points is what happened. (laughs) And the actual answer is the colored bill makes more uh, bacteria-killing sperm. So apparently, lots of semen has, like, antibacterial properties. And I guess for obvious reasons, um, the the bacteria can, like, cause potential mutations to the sperm. They can also, of course, kill the sperm. And then those mutations might be passed on to the next generation. So it's good to not have that. And some scientists... And to do this, they like they had to use what's called cloacal massage to gather a bunch of samples of mm-hmm. duck mm-hmm. sperm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just compared the brightness of the bill to the ability of it to kill E. coli and found that there was a correlation to those two things. And there's not like a direct link. It's not like one means the other. It's that like a healthy bird okay. is both able to have a brighter bill and produce more spermicide in its semen. Uh, so there's a number of other okay. things that will probably also be appealing and and high quality about that potential mate. It's a hell but of a like, duck. Just more scientists studying duck sex. We can't get enough of As it. As for the other facts, birds do sniff each other to choose their mates, but this thing was made up. And then know that spirochetes are spiral-shaped bacteria. They do not hook up to sperm and probably wouldn't be able to help a sperm. They just sort of like go off to the left more than they would go straight. But this was based on the fact that m- mouse sperms do sometimes hook together to move faster as one. So if like, if there's like 20 million sperm and like 20 of them are like, let's work together, you know, one in 20 is a better chance than one in 20 million. So that's how lottery pools work. That's right. Yeah. Everybody hooked together. Are some sperm just more predisposed to be like selfless or what's uh, I don't know. Uh, I did not, I did not look deeply into that. I was just like, oh, that's interesting. And then I was like, ducks, ducks, ducks. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know how, uh, why they apparently hook together, but they do seem to move faster when they do. All right. So I got two Sam Bucks and Stefan got one. Next, we're going to take a short break. Then it'll be time for the fact off. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Rocket Money. If I asked you how many subscription services you had, you think you could name them all? And before you just start naming streaming apps, remember that basically everything has a subscription these days. Video games, dating apps, food delivery apps. It's a subscription service world. We're just living in it. And with all of these subscriptions, it can feel like money is just flying out of your account. And that, frankly, sucks. 
but Rocket Money can help. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money can help you negotiate to lower some bills for you by up to 20%. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in total canceled subscriptions. Escape from the planet of the subscription services and stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash tangents. That's rocketmoney.com slash tangents. Rocketmoney.com slash T-A-N-G-E-N-T-S. SciShow Tangents is brought to you by Manukora Honey. Miriam Webster defines honey as a sweet, viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees. And that's all good and fine, but old Miriam and Webster... (laughs) (laughs) Use some words that I don't know and didn't really hit the mark when it comes to talking about Manukora honey. First off, Manukora isn't just sweet and viscid. It's got a rich, complex taste and a creamy melt-in-your-mouth texture that you won't find in your average everyday grocery store honey. And nectar of flowers doesn't cut it when you're talking about the nectar of the Manuka tea tree in New Zealand, the only nectar these bees feed on in the production of Manukora honey. In conclusion, Manukora... Ain't just your average boring dictionary defined honey. It's special honey. I know this firsthand. Uh, They sent us a jar, a squeeze bottle, and some honey sticks. And we've been sharing around the office of their MGO 850 Plus, their best-selling honey. It's not the same. (laughs) It's not what you're thinking of when you think of honey. Look, have you ever think to yourself, if like a company made grapes for the first time, we'd go nuts? I feel like honey is this way where I'm like, if anybody like made this up, we'd be going out of our minds. But this is like if honey happened again. Did you like the honey, Sari? So I moved into a new place where there's no insulation in the walls. And so uh, I've been drinking a lot of tea and Mm -hmm. sometimes that tea needs a little bit of honey. And I initially poured in this honey thinking it was going to be grocery store honey. And then I was like, that's different. And now it's a little uh, breakfast treat. It's a great breakfast treat because it's 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 a little like it's for toast. I could put like this on my butter toast and I'm like, oh, I'm having an experience. So Merriam-Webster also defines ultimate as the best or most extreme of its kind. Now that one fits Manukora to a T. Indulge in the best or most extreme sweet viscid material elaborated out of nectar of flowers in the honey sack of various bees from Manukora. If you head to manukora.com slash tangents, you can get $25 off their starter kit, which comes with the MG850 Plus Manuka Honey, a free travel pack of honey sticks, a free wooden spoon, and also a free guidebook. That's M-A-N-U-K-O-R-A dot com slash tangents to get $25 off your starter kit. Welcome back, Sam Buck Totals. I've got two. Sari and Stefan are tied with one, and Sam has nothing, but it's time for Sam to try and make his way back in the fact off. Two panelists have brought science facts to the others in an attempt to blow their minds. The presentees each have a Sam Buck to award the fact that they like the most, and here's how we're going to decide who goes first. I have a question for you. Give me an answer. How many days is the incubation period for mallard duck eggs? Okay. I think I actually know this one. 
Oh so, wow, Sam, Sam thinks he knows this one. Does that mean I should go first or that you I should go know. first? I don't know. What does game theory say in this situation? <laughs> oh, let's have Stefan go first. Two weeks. 14 days. One month. 30 days. 30 or 31, Sam. Is it February oh, or shoot. March? It depends on which month it is, I guess. Yeah. 29 days sometimes. Well, Sam is closer. It was 27 to 28 days. Oh, so, so February. Was- farther off why why do you why do you why do you know how many hey i can tell you right i can tell you right now how i know that yeah there is a pretty common trope in cartoons where a duckling will hatch and then think the first thing that it sees is its mommy Mm -hmm. and you might think that this is cartoon logic but because real ducks are ridiculous cartoon animals it is a real phenomenon it's called imprinting and it happens to some degree with lots of animals but it's really pronounced with baby ducks geese and chickens and so the way it works is during the first two or so days after a baby bird hatches after it's been incubated for 27 days it fixates on moving things in its environment environment and those objects kind of etch themselves on the bird's brain Hmm. so if everything goes according to plan it'll be looking mostly at its mom and its siblings walking around so then it'll be able to tell its family apart from other duck families and follow them around and stay out of trouble but these kinds of baby birds like in cartoons can pretty much imprint on anything and scientists have been using that to explore just how capable of abstract thought animals might Hmm. be So in the 70s, Conrad Lorenz was the first person to figure out that imprinting was mostly a visual thing and not just instinctual, and that you could kind of trick the bird to imprint on pretty much any moving object. And this discovery actually won him the Nobel Prize for (laughs) tricking a bunch of goslings into following him around. Then in the 90s, a test was conducted where chicks, like baby chickens, imprinted on a red cube. And then (laughs) following that... Did it move or was it just sitting there? I think somebody was like holding it and moving it around or something. (laughs) Oh, no! So then after that, they showed them other... other shapes and cubes of different colors and let them pick which one they wanted to follow and they would always follow the cube no matter what color it was so this showed that chicks were capable of generalization and they could make small leaps of logic about who the best person to follow was Mm -hmm. so this discovery was apparently a big deal in the world of like bird cognition (laughs) and researchers are still trying to figure out like find the, the limits of how capable they are of abstract thought so in 2016 They took a bunch of newly hatched ducks and they showed them pairs of moving shapes. And the shapes were either exactly the same, two different colors, or two different shapes. Mm -hmm. And so they imprinted them on the moving shapes and then they showed (laughs) them two other sets of shapes and gave them the choice of which one to follow. And neither of the two new sets was identical to the set that the ducklings imprinted on. Mm -hmm. But one of the pairs had the same relationship to each other as the pair that they bonded with. Right. If the ducks imprinted on two red circles, then they were shown two purple circles and then a blue circle and a yellow circle, they would always follow the purple circle, for Hmm. instance. Mm -hmm. Or if they were shown a square and a triangle, and then they were shown a matching set of two different shapes and then a non-matching set of like a diamond and a rectangle, they would follow the diamond and the rectangle because they were different. (laughs) So researchers figured out that this meant that ducklings didn't just see like two red circles or a square and a triangle, but they could understand what same and different meant. And they could use those like distinctions to make decisions about stuff. So there are examples of primates and other types of birds that can do same and different, but they have to be trained a lot. And ducklings are even better at understanding same and different than human babies are. 
ducks are so smart. I love that. So ducks are very smart. The smartest of all babies, at least. <laughs> mm-hmm. It makes me very sad for these ducks, though. It is a little sad. Who My think- mommy is the concept of different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just an idea. Yeah. Just a lot of orphan ducks wandering around out there. Oh. It's okay. They grow up and then they don't need them. They don't need it anymore. Do we know anything about whether imprinting on other animals that are not ducks or or other objects is there like an evolutionary advantage to that like do ducks often get adopted by other animals or something i think it's just like an accidental side effect of the general imprinting process i don't think they get adopted they do there's those they geese do? that that gotta get it got adopted <laughs> by that plane oh i forgot about that is that yeah. far from home is that yeah. what it's called yeah. plane bomb <laughs> that's true but I would imagine a lot of other things that would adopt a baby duck that wasn't their own would eat the baby duck. Yeah. Or like be like, you're yeah. not my baby, even though I'm a duck. Get yeah, there's like, there's a pretty small list of things that could be a baby duck's mom that isn't yeah. a duck that wouldn't eat the duck. And yeah. it's like plain red cube <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Or a Nobel Prize winning scientist. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. I love that fact. Good one. A, a duck's best friend is his concept of sameness and differentness. <laughs> Stefan, what do you have Beautiful. for us? <laughs> so in commercial fishing, there's a thing called bycatch, which is like anything that you catch that's alive that you weren't intending to catch. And that could even be like juveniles of a species that you're actually fishing for, but you don't want the juveniles, you just want the adults. Right. It's like when you get when you get curly fries at Arby's, but there's accidentally like one real regular fry yeah, in yeah. there. It's like, okay, bycatch. but... It's yeah. not what I ordered. Like, it's it's a pretty big problem with fishing. I was reading about, like, uh, shrimp trawling, I guess, is the worst offender. And on average, you catch almost six kilograms of not shrimp for every kilogram of shrimp. Wow. That's so which much is, stuff. Which is ridiculous. And so different fishing methods will require different solutions to, like, mitigate that. So gill net fishing is a method where they just have this wall of netting that hangs out in the water and like the holes are designed so that a fish can get its head in, but then gets stuck and can't get back out. But a lot of marine mammals get stuck in those nets also. And so one of the ways that they've developed to deal with that are things called pingers, which one fish one fisherman called oversized hot dogs, because that's kind of what they look like. They're just these... They're not that big, but they're bigger than a hot dog, I guess. But they're just little devices that have uh, a speaker, basically, that pings uh, different frequencies to try to deter certain animals. Like, they're super loud, and they play different tones. And so, like, with cetaceans, like, their, their range of hearing is very high, like, much higher than humans. And so these pingers can play really high frequencies, and that seems to be very effective at deterring them hmm. from getting in the nets. Cool. And so we've been using those for the past couple decades, and they've been really effective at deterring marine mammals. But people also want to see if these can be used to deter seabirds, like diving ducks, because seabirds are also threatened by fishing. They estimate hundreds of thousands of birds get caught every year in fishing equipment. The gillnet fishing in particular seems particularly bad for like diving sea ducks. And so some people are wondering if we can use these pingers that are on these nets already to also deter birds. But we don't have a good sense of like what 
ducks' underwater hearing abilities are, like what frequencies they hear. And so researchers at the University of Delaware, in collaboration with the USGS and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, are trying to figure that out. They're testing this on several different species of ducks, and they take them from birth and they have them imprint on the researchers so that they can study them without <laughs> stressing them yeah. out too much. Okay, good. And they're basically doing what was very similar to like when you do a human hearing test and you play a bunch of different notes and then it's like, oh, okay, I can hear that one, I can hear that one. Um, but in order to tell what the duck is hearing, they have to go through a whole process of training them. They have to get them to a point where when a light turns on, they will dive. And then while they're underwater, they hit a button that like indicates, okay, the duck is underwater. And then they play a sound. And if the duck hears a sound, then it's trained to go back to the surface and hit a different button, and then it gets a reward. So it's a very like complex. This is wild. Why don't you just play them a sound and see if they (laughs) run away? (laughs) That's what you want. Scare the duck. Well, you can drop that in their suggestion box. Uh, But I think in this case, like we're getting a sense of like the over, like we're mapping out their overall like hearing. It's not just Mm. like okay, Mm -hmm. these things are making them run away. So that whole process takes a long time, and the master's student who's like heading up that research was saying that it does take a long time, but the birds are surprisingly trainable. So I think we've we've confirmed that ducks are super smart. But they found <laughs> that between these different species of ducks, they t- seem to share a common range of auditory sensitivity from about one kilohertz to three kilohertz, which is not as good as so like apparently fish have terrible hearing they can only hear most fish can only hear up to one or two kilohertz which i did not realize just for reference i guess humans hear up to about 20 kilohertz and so like whales and dolphins go way above that and so they have a lot of like frequencies there that they can play with for these pinger devices but here because ducks range sort of overlaps with the top of fish's range. It's like a little Mm -hmm. bit trickier to figure out if they can use the pingers. But this is sort of like first steps in exploring, like mapping out ducks' ear abilities and then seeing if they can help reduce all the birds that are dying in fishing nets and stuff. Yes, it's the 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 ducky hear gnome project. Okay. <laughs> was that like a human genome project? Yeah, that was supposed to be like a human genome project. Oh, you got to very bad. <laughs> you got to get out of your house, Hank. You got to take think, a walk. So the facts we have to choose from are ducklings can imprint on anything so scientists use that to study whether ducks could understand concepts like same and different and they can and they found that their mommy is is a concept or Stefan's fact <laughs> scientists use the ability of duck imprintation to study the duck ability to hear of different ranges so we can try to develop duck pingers and we're still in the mapping phase of the Ducky Hear Gnome project. There's got to be a better, Stop. something better than that. No, I don't think there, nothing it's... to do with the genome. It's like the microbiome and the collectome yeah. and, and the connectome. Like, we just make up words. Yeah, I kind of yeah. like it now. The second time you said it, I liked it. So. <laughs> okay. I'm it's on the board. Sari and I now have to choose between the Ducky Hear Gnome project 
and my mommy is a concept. Three, two, one, Sam. Sam. Stefan, I'm glad to know what pingers are. And and you have you have enriched my world with that knowledge. I did not know about those until today. But the effect that a, an idea can be imprinted on rather than an actual object is freaking wild. <laughs> All right, everybody, it's time for Ask the Science Couch, except that it's mostly Ask the Science Blanket Fort today. We've got some listener questions for our (laughs) blanket fort of finely honed scientific minds. The question comes from at Andrew T. Herr. How do ducks quack? Also, do duck quacks echo? I slightly modified that question just because I liked it that way better. How do ducks? Qu- I had never thought about this. Uh, obviously, lots of lots of birds make weird noises, so it's just yeah. another noise. But it is a pretty specific mm. noise. Sari, I have no idea what's up with duck quacks. Did you figure anything out? Sort of. So I listen to a lot of duck quacks so much so that the cat that I'm co-working with kept looking over at me as I was listening to <laughs> duck quacks. So the the quintessential duck quack is made by female mallard ducks. Okay. And it sounds like this. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's a quack. Solid. That is a silly noise. Pretty standard quack. That's like your, your bread and butter <laughs> quacks. And they'll quack for a whole bunch of reasons, like when they're separated from their partner. But um, male mallards make a like a raspier sound and and like other ducks don't even make quacks at all they make like clicking sounds oh. or like weird honks or <laughs> or other things so this is a male mallard duck oh yeah that sounds smoky <laughs> sensual <laughs> it sounds kind of like grumbling old men yeah. like, well it sounds way more like donald duck they sound pissed. Yeah. <laughs> they usually are. <laughs> so I guess the question is, is like, would you call it a quack still? Like people who listen to bird calls seem to think it's like slightly less of a pure quack mm-hmm. <laughs> than the female mallard. It. The reason for these quacks, I think, is the reason for any bird sounds. I couldn't find any specifics like what is vibrating. But instead of a larynx like mammals or reptiles or other things, birds like ducks, in addition to a larynx, have an organ called a syrinx, which is lower down in their chest, like closer to the lungs. So they still have a larynx with hard membranes that are the vocal folds, which make vibrations, and they can make sounds with those. But they can also make sounds with the syrinx, which is closer to the lungs, and it's like a bony structure surrounded by an air sac, and it's like a resonating chamber, which is how I think birds can make so many different noises because they have these two different vocal boxes that can make sounds. So it's not just mallards that quack. I don't have this like totally wrong in my head. Other ducks quack, but it sounds further away from like the pure quack that you think of as like Mm. duck sound. And do they echo? What is that all about? So I don't know if any of you have ever heard this myth, but apparently there's a myth that duck quacks don't echo. No, they do echo. They're made of sound. Yes. um, And so they echo. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like it's something cowboys were like telling each other around the campfire. Yeah. No, honestly, it sounds (laughs) like something that somebody credible said on the radio in 1955. And then it's just become a thing. Mm -hmm. So like sonically speaking, people have studied this and found that, yes, duck quacks do echo. And they think it might have something to do with like the length of the sound. So... Like the the way that a duck quacks with a long like eh, at the end of end of it can mask 
echoes that are bouncing back because an echo is just a sound reflection. But a researcher named Trevor Cox at Salford University Acoustics Research <laughs> Center, who normally studies like auditoriums mm-hmm. and things like that, did an experiment with a duck named Daisy. He made Daisy quack in an anechoic chamber, which is one that doesn't echo. And it sounded like this. Okay. Good. (laughs) Very short and sweet. But then they made Daisy Quack in an echoey chamber, and it sounded like this. That sounds like a freaking echo to me. (laughs) Just like very spooky, like the the duck has come to claim your soul. (laughs) (laughs) So there is audio online to prove that a duck quack does, in fact, echo. And then the sad ending to the story is that at the bottom of this article, it said, Daisy was kindly lent to us by Stockley Farm in Cheshire. This is a working farm open to public. Unfortunately, Daisy has been eaten by a fox, but her daughter no. lives on. Oh, <laughs> no. Which is just so sad, but also really funny that they included this at the bottom of their sounds of <laughs> just Daisy. Just in case you were wondering. Uh, yeah. I mean, that sounds yeah. like uh-huh. something that, that they would say, those people who are trying to mm-hmm. convince us that duck quacks echo. Oh, and they're like, ah, oh, but Daisy actually Daisy. never existed. It's all lies. How <laughs> suspicious. If you want to ask the Science Couch, follow us on Twitter at SciShowTangents, where we will tweet out topics for upcoming episodes every week. Thank you to at Sarah Mies, at FluxFilter, and everybody else who tweeted us your questions this episode. Final Sam Buck scores! Sari and Stefan tied with one. Hank and Sam tied in the lead with two. Oh, mm. yeah. For the season, Sari is still in the lead, but only by one point. It's very close. In fact, I think that it goes 34, 33, 32, 31. I am last, then Sam, and then Stefan, and then Sari. So, it's any anybody's game at this point. If you like this show and you want to help us out, it's very easy to do that. First, you can leave us a review wherever you listen. That helps us know what you like about the show, and it helps us get the word out about the show. You can also tweet us your favorite moment from the episode. And finally, if you want to show your love for SciShow Tangents, just tell Tell people people about about us. us. That's going to be a mess. (laughs) It doesn't work quite as well over the internet. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. I have been Hank Green. I've been Sari Riley. I've been Stefan Chin. And I've been Sam Schultz. SciShow Tangents is the co-production of Complexly in the wonderful team at WNYC Studios. It's created by all of us and produced by Caitlin Hoffmeister and Sam Schultz, who also edits a lot of these episodes along with Hiroko Matsushima. Our editorial assistant is Dabuki Chakravarti. Our sound design is by Joseph Tuna Medish, and we couldn't make any of this without our patrons on Patreon. Thank you. And remember, the mind is not a vessel to be filled, but a fire to be lighted. But one more thing. Turns out duck poop is a breeding ground for a previously unclassified species of fly, first described in 2007, but with a full genetic analysis done in 2017. It's called Thamira Lomani after an entomologist at City College of New York because it was first found in Central Park on duck poop. And it's probably pretty rare in natural environments, but thrives in public parks where people feed ducks and there is a ton of poop.